news. Life ain't for everybody. What's shaking? Hope you all had a great holiday. Enjoying the new year, 2022. It seems like it's flying by already. I can't believe how fast time flies. I'm in my 40s. Seems like I was just 21 yesterday. Speaking of 21, you got to be 21 to enjoy our title sponsor, the one and only, the iconic Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking right there out of Lynchburg, Tennessee. Every single drop of Jack Daniels Sour Mash is made and sold in 167 countries. Imagine that. 167 countries millions of gallons of jack daniels are sold and consumed every year and every drop of it is made in the little tiny town of lynchburg tennessee i absolutely love being in lynchburg whether it's barbecue whether it's hanging with my friends there turkey hunting deer hunting it doesn't matter lynchburg is the home of jack daniels and jack daniels who's who is bringing you this life ain't for everybody on a daily basis thank you all for supporting jack daniels and thank you jack daniels for supporting us and all of our brands again remember please enjoy it responsibly never allow underage drinking and today's episode is also brought to you by the one and only rigid industries own the night you got to see the light you can't do anything perfect or well in the dark except one thing but we're not going to go down that road right there if larry was here today we'd go down that road because larry talks about that a lot but you got to be lit up you got to have a headlamp you got to have a flashlight you got to have your light bar and your bumper you got to have fog lights you have to have running lights you have to be able to flick that switch and make it daylight and that's exactly what we depend on rigid industries to do their leds are second to none their warranty is second to none their product development everything they stand for is passion and loyalty to their customer base and we truly use their lights in every one of our utvs atvs boats trucks our bumpers our decoy trailers you flick a switch and all four of them come on on all four sides to light up the cornfield the bean field the pea field it doesn't matter where we're hunting we rely on rigid industries to make sure that we are seeing exactly what we need to be seeing so thank you rigid and thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions of this life ain't for everybody today i got two powerhouse guests we're going to talk about athletics today making your living in athletics making your living playing football in the national football league Making your living as a NASCAR truck racer who actually won Talladega this year. None other than Justin Smiley. He played for the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Raiders. Am I missing any? Yeah, the Jags in there towards ja- the end. Jaguars towards the end. Yes, sir. And Tate Fogelman, NASCAR truck racer, car or truck number 12. He won Talladega this year, and the I got champ. to witness it. The champ. The champ, oh, yeah. baby. The champ. The Ricky Bobby yes. <laughs> at this table. Yes. That's right. Makes me proud. Tate, welcome. Glad to be here. 21 years old. Yep. Wow, 21, and he's freaking winning Talladega. He's got him by the uh, – The balls. By the balls. I mean, he's <laughs> he's on top of his game, man. Hey, and you, look, the sky's the limit. I think it is. He's fast. He averaged 195 miles an hour for 94 laps. I mean, that's not right. That's getting it. That's getting yeah. it. And I'm talking like daredevil, like no no holds barred, no fear, going in and out, surviving crashes. Because his dad, Jay, this is my first NASCAR experience. I've been to Indy many times, but his dad, Jay, told me, it's not if there's going to be a big pileup. It's just where you're at when it happens and making sure that you can maneuver around it and stay clean of it because it's going to happen in this race, yeah. right, Tate? Yeah, especially at Daytona and Talladega, those big tracks, there's always going to be – 
they call it the big one. There's always a big wreck that'll take out 15 or plus cars or trucks. So if you avoid that one, you, I mean, you have a shot at it if you get through that big wreck, and that's what we did. How far, when you guys are doing the turns and I'm watching, let's talk about like the first 20 laps. And I, I, I would assume that's kind of positioning, right? You're getting the feel for the track and you're getting your feel for the other drivers. You're listening to your spotters up top. Yeah. You got your headphones on. I had headphones on. It was unreal. You talk about, you know, one of our companies is called Jargon. Well, to listen to the jargon between you and the pit crew and, and your spotters up top. How far do you get? And I know that you'd make contact, but how far average do you stay from your bumper to that rear bumper of of the car in front of you? Yeah, it's all about the draft, especially Talladega. So, I mean, you're trying to get probably that far away, just as close as you can, and then when you can, you try to give them a bump and kind of nudge in my head, but don't do that through the turns or through the trial or that. That's usually what causes those big wrecks. So, like you just held up eight inches. Yeah, I mean you try to. Just All right, wait, this is this is this is six inches, right? We'll go with eight. I <laughs> mean, eight, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that's about right. so yeah. eight inches. Yeah, you're I mean, just as close as you can at 195 miles an hour. That yeah. defies all logic to me. It's like nuts. Could you yeah. imagine if you had to drive I mean, like two hundred miles an hour and you're within mere inches? I mean, yeah. I mean, but hey, it tells you how skilled these guys are. I mean, I mean, that's a skilled. I mean, not anybody can get in that truck and do that. It's, you what, it special. reminds me of somebody, Justin, like like the Blue Angels. They're going mock whatever, and they're literally wingtips oh. are almost touching when they're doing yeah, their shows. That's, yeah, um, that's a lot of practice, and I mean, that's what he does. I mean, there's. You can't just go throw your hat out there and expect to perform. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's a pro at what he does. Yeah, and you were too, and we're going to get to this part of it because we are getting ready for Super Bowl. What, I don't even know what number we're I don't on either. Now. I don't even know who's going to be in the Super Bowl. But um, I, want to, I want to talk about – I'll have one of those. The Coca-Cola classics mm-hmm. in the diet format. That's right. They still – I love Coca-Cola. Um These trucks, to me, when you watch the back end, and I kept mentioning this to your dad during the race, it's like almost like there's no weight in the back to where they're just like floating and they're moving like this, like a almost like a, a goldfish at the fair when you're trying to win a goldfish. It just looks like that to me. And I'm like, that looks so dangerous, but it has to be light to get to those speeds or what's going on with that? Yeah. I mean, at super speedways, you just try to get them trimmed out. They'll go as fast as they can. And the way the trucks sit at the super speedways, the back end's really high up. So, like, when I was talking about getting runs earlier, like, you got to time it right going down the straightaways because if you, like, get up under a truck or if you get a push, you can feel it kind of, like, lift up and get light when you're getting a push from behind. Can, so like, you, can really, you can you explain the, the trimmed out part? What do you mean by that? Well, like, just as far as, like, the handling um, and qualifying to get into the race, you just try to get the truck to go as fast as you can, kind of get the tail out of the winds. You're just creating less drag. Aerodynamics. Yeah, but that also makes it hard to handle. So when you get in a pack, it's more sketchy. So you mm-hmm. just kind of got to find a balance a between line, the two. Huh? Yeah. So you're all the weights up front. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, the engine, everything's up there. So a lot of the weights in the front. But just like the stance of the trucks, the way they have them, um, as far as aerodynamics on super speedway, it's just the back sits a little higher than most tracks. Do you know the history of NASCAR truck? Like, when Pete, when I think NASCAR, I think obviously Earnhardt, yeah. and I think back in the day of the drivers that I grew up watching. Um, 
I don't remember there ever being trucks. Is this something that's been in the last decade or so, or when when did it come into fruition? Do you know? Yeah, it came in definitely later. I mean, I've no, I know I've watched uh, truck races before at like older races, just kind of like what you did, probably studying film is what I would call it. Um, it's just seeing what I can learn through through different races that have happened in the past, and like they don't. They started later than what everybody like. Everybody knows the Cup Series, um, and then they started later than that. And like I know a little bit of the history, but I know uh, pretty much what everybody else knows, and that's just the Cup stuff, like Earnhardt Senior, everything like that. But that's something that I definitely want to learn more about since I'm so involved in it. So this is a career of your dad told me like your mom has this alligator skin. Like my mom, like and you guys will probably relate to this, like back before it was a law of seatbelts you know like everybody's we we i mean we rode in the back of my dad's truck going 30 down a dirt road all the time back in the day now you get shunned down people look at you like oh my god that's like child abuse today yeah, right well it, it's not but my mom was famous for that right arm oh, yeah. flying across that seat nothing. to hold you back the right seatbelt had nothing on mom's right arm no. yeah nothing, nothing on on mom's right arm so but your dad says that you would like roll over in your go-kart like you'd flip your go-kart on the track and your mom would run out there and like help pull it back up and tell you to hit the gas and get back going again like she was kind of like a no holds barred lady like she lived in the fast lane too maybe yeah she she tried to go to so a lot of the races that were locally um i have a twin sister too so she her and my mom would try to come whenever they could and uh but yeah whenever she goes to the track like my grandma she used to go when i was younger and she'd say so nervous she couldn't even watch the races really but my mom like she she didn't really have any fear for me or anything she that's cool yeah that's, that's great kind of fearless support. but yeah it was it's nice because i mean she could watch everything that was going on and and really supported me throughout the whole thing so when you you, you start as a a go-kart well you have family history your dad i want to get into this because i want to talk to justin a little bit about his history in football too and if it was a family tradition um but your dad's a racer i think your grandpa even raced a little bit so growing up you you knew you were going to be where did it start like you three years old in a motorized little tonka truck or something going around the driveway yeah i mean there's pictures at my house i'm like a little baby in my dad's arm in victory lane so i I grew up going to the racetrack there's a picture in my house that I kind of look at it every time I'm looking through old pictures. It kind of makes me think that that's kind of where I got started. I had uh, two, like, little chairs. I have a twin sister, like I said, so they're probably for us. The chairs are probably this tall. I had, like, a little plastic truck. It's, like, sitting up on top of the two chairs, and I was up under it acting like I was working on it. So, yeah, I mean, that's just – I've just been surrounded by it, and I kind of – it's been kind of born in my blood, I guess. And do you – I want to go through the graduation or the – the promotion part of racing you where do you start after you get of age is it like you're you get your driver's license at 16 so i assume to be a racer you have to be a legal age driver and where does that start at on the dirt track as far i know there's many races back in go-karts yeah. and stuff but as far as a motorized vehicle like a dirt track truck or or car you're 16 years old when you start your racing career no actually that's the thing like everybody thinks i need a driver's license or something but there's there's no limits out on the racetrack, so I started with go-karts and stuff when I was five or six, and then I was actually started racing like full-body stock cars when I was 12 years old. I had the owner of the series, which was the past Pro All-Star Series then, said I had to be 12 to be able to race. I turned 12 like that Thursday, and I was racing that Friday night and Saturday. 
I wouldn't hand so. the keys to my twelve-year-old to drive back the car out of the driveway. No, or, it's amazing. And, nah, yeah, it is. It's but like, that, listen, and we're gonna talk about it later. The football deal. That's what sets people apart. I mean, this guy had the love from an early age, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was just ingrained in him. Yeah. And you either have it or you don't. Yeah. You know what I'm True. saying? And he made the most of it. Uh, I mean, it's the, the story is amazing. Yeah, my, so, my dad was telling me back to when I was first started when I was 12, he told me that, like, the seat they had to put in there for me, because so, I, I only weighed probably, like, 70 pounds. The seat was, like, 11 inches off, like, the floor pan of the car. <laughs> like a little booster seat. <laughs> so... Take me through it, like Justin's talking about. You're born to do it, and but not everybody can do this, right? Like not everybody gets to race in the truck series that wants to. That's is that kind of where all NASCAR drivers start, and then you graduate to the Saturday race. Which take me through the process, and then you graduate to racing on Sunday, which is the Cup Series, right? Yeah. So I mean, everybody starts off. A lot of people start off on quarter midgets, which is basically a go kart and go karts. And then I worked my way to Bandoleros, which is a car about the size of this ta- table right here with a 12-horsepower engine. They probably go 60 or 70. We race on probably quarter-mile to three-eighths-mile tracks. I spent a lot of time in that. And then we were kind of looking to do something new. My dad, he had been racing super late models, which is stock car, which is very popular around North Carolina, which a lot of people race. Mm-hmm. And... uh we're kind of figuring out what we needed to do next with my career because I was probably 11 or so. And uh, so he had those cars, and they had another series, which were pro late models. But they used the same chassis and everything as the super late models, just with a uh, smaller engine. So we figured that would be a good route for me to take. So that's when I was 12 and first started that. And then moved up to super late models when I was 13 or 14. Raced with my dad for a few races, which was pretty fun. The last race I raced with him, I actually beat him. So I hold that against him the whole day. I mean, nice. And, uh, yeah, I tell him I put him into retirement. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and then, so I was planning on racing that the rest of my life, really. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem doing that. It was, they were, we'd practice on Friday nights, race Saturday, like just local short tracks. And, I mean, we traveled, too. We raced from Oxford, Maine. We raced in Florida. We traveled all up and down the East Coast, but... Everybody that does that and starts racing stock cars, I think they have, like, the big goal of making it to the NASCAR National Series. And I got that break in 2018. I got called to drive a race uh, in St. Louis. I was 18 then. I'd never raced any tracks like that. There's, like, other stepping stone series like ARCA and stuff you can do like that to kind of prepare you for the truck series, which I hadn't done before. So I was, like, a true rookie. And I did good that weekend and was called back to race two more races that year. Wait a minute. So in, in, in 2018, you're 18 years old. You, this, you're talking these are NASCAR truck races? Yeah. The, yeah the so how thing. do you get called to go race in St. Louis? Is it like a headhunter that finds the guys that are killing it in the short track or something? <laughs> I, uh, the guy that owns Young's Motorsports, who I raced for last year, he, he had been involved in short track stuff. He actually raced Pro Cup Series with my dad, which is a series – my dad raced probably 2008 was his last year. Um, so he knew him through that. And uh, so he had come to one of my races in 2017, a big race. It's called the Thanksgiving Classic. And I actually ended up winning that race, and he was there. And he he had knew my dad and had his phone number. And, like, they hadn't talked much since, since they stopped racing together. But gave my dad a call and said he'd be interested in having me come drive one of their trucks. So that was a special opportunity. 
had to take advantage of it. So if you fail that weekend in St. Louis, you might not be sitting here right now, right? Or do you, do you, did that really give you your break? Yeah, I mean, without that, I mean, it's it's hard. you got to have sponsorships surrounded by the right people to, to even have the opportunity if, if he wouldn't have given me that opportunity. But we ended up wrecking that, that weekend. Um, just car and truck in front of me, put down a bunch of oil, and we slid up. I mean, there's nothing really we could do to avoid it. But uh, we were running good. We qualified 15th, I think. It was my first, first truck race, which was really good for that team and myself. And uh, they were impressed, and... They thought I did a good job, so they were willing to have me back and race a few more races um, that season, and then back full time in 2019 and last year as well. And then in 2021, yeah, the 2020, 2020, 2021 season, which was my second full time season with them. And so, as a whole, is this a productive and successful season? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, besides the Talladega win, which we're going to get into towards the end of this podcast, because that was special. But that was one. That was something that was uh, as a was it a consistent season to where you're going fast, you wreck sometimes. Are you winning a bunch, or what makes it a successful season for NASCAR? Is it points? Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, every time I go on the track, I feel like it's success because the truck series is something completely new and different to me because I grew up with straight rail stock cars they're light they turn good they have good brakes but when you get to the trucks they're big heavy they don't stop good so and the tracks are so much bigger so it's something you got to get used to as far as drafting aerodynamics stuff like that as far as positioning on like me as a driver position the truck in ways where like just from like a little bit of air like if you're behind the truck if you like stay right dead behind them and aren't getting air to the front of the truck it like it changed it changes the handling like drastically so if you can just like put your headlight out or just a quarter of the nose of the truck, just get a little air on it, it it changes like that. So just things like that, as far as handling and stuff I can do behind the wheel, I've learned so much um, last year and then this past season too. So, I mean, I've been learning a lot, but now I'm moving to a new team. I think it's time for me to start just, I mean, I've spent two years learning, so now I need to start having those good finishes. I mean, where do you go from – I, I was wondering this earlier, just thinking to myself when we're sitting in the goose pit. Where do you go? I mean, you won Talladega. Uh, you know, what's – where do you go from there? Like, what's your goals and aspirations, you know? Like, what do you hope to set – do you hope to drive, like we said earlier, the the car? You know, I mean, is that is that the, the Super Bowl for a NASCAR driver? Yeah, growing up, I wanted to be a NASCAR driver, which for me, that was a NASCAR National Series. So in the NASCAR National Series, you have trucks, Xfinity, and like the cup cars, which everybody knows of with NASCAR. So like I've kind of made that goal. and But, I mean, always anybody involved in racing, I feel like, that's made it into one of the NASCAR National Series has the end goal of making it to the cup series. That's, that's still my goal, but, I mean... That's hard. You gotta have sponsorship. I mean, there's so many people trying to fill those spots. So yeah, of you, course. Uh, I mean, and I'm I'm happy with where I'm at in the truck series yeah, for I sure. I mean, you're doing your thing right now. I mean, just one day at a time. Yeah, right? I'm just trying to make the most of the opportunity I have right now. But there is a um, the question of livelihood and revenue. You're a college student. You're still a college student. Yeah. <laughs> You have to have a career. You have to put money in the bank. That's right. So is the aspiration to get to Sundays like Justin's asking to become a successful 
NASCAR driver that's making a living doing it? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be goose hunting and, and racing every weekend. That'd be that'd be the life right You're there. You're dang right, man. So what, where, what does it take? How do you get – okay, let's take our mutual friend Noah Gregson. He races on Saturday. He's fast as shit. Yeah. He's awesome. He's no holds – he's no, no fear like you are. Great guy, right? He's been on the podcast. He's – I mean, he's always – here's the deal. When Noah goes on the track, he's always in the talks. He can always win. He's, I mean, I guess every driver has a chance to win, but Noah's proven it. I think he won like five races yeah. last year. That's pretty legit for Saturday, right? So where are you in your career right now, Tate, of being in racing on Saturdays? Because I'm sure you have to go to Saturday first, and then then the big sponsorships might come, the big money behind you, because you got to have money to race on Sunday. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Talladega, it opened a lot of doors because – People in the next series, which is Xfinity, they want to. They want people that can win and are proven winners. So I've done that, but now moving to the new team, I just need to finish the best I can, and I want to move into like a good situation in the Xfinity series. There's always cars you can go drive that are kind of middle of the pack, lower. But like, I mean, I want to be known for a successful driver. So I mean, I'd rather stay in the truck series for a few years and make sure I get that nailed down to, to eventually get a good ride in the Xfinity Series rather than just going from where I'm at now into the Xfinity Series and, like, a back marker team or a situation like that. Like, I'm a competitor myself. I, I'd rather just stay in the truck series and, and then be competitive racing up front instead of just moving on up now and, and being kind of a back marker. So before we move to Justin's career, because I want to bounce back and forth, because we are talking making your living in pro sports right now, NASCAR is the second most viewed sport at one time. I don't know what the fan base is right now. I've heard that they've lost a little. We should talk about that, but I don't know if you really know what's going on with the the fan base behind them. I also saw like M&Ms and Mars just dropped out of NASCAR, um, and they had a car in there for like 35 years or something. But um, the the making making a living doing this and going back to that day you got called to go to St. Louis where you got your break at, what if somebody called you right now and said, we need you to race on Saturday? Let's say in another month when you start in February. But, hey, we need you to come up and race on Saturday. Are you qualified to get in that car and race against Noah Gregson? Do you have confidence to get in that car? Can you handle that car because of your past experience in the cars you did drive? And do you can you just get right in there and feel comfortable enough to race on a Saturday right now? Yeah, um, before, before uh, like last season we were talking and, and like kind of when I first came into the truck series, I was talking to people that have raced trucks, Xfinity, and Cup cars, and they actually said one of the toughest things driving when they were growing up through going up through the series was the truck series. So now that I feel like I've kind of got a lot of experience under my belt, and I'd be prepared to do that. But I also want to do it with the right people and, and surround myself with the right people to be competitive in the Xfinity series too. So that's pretty wise for a young man. Yeah, like it, it is. It's got it, your dad is a, a pretty sharp cat, oh, yeah. and he knows what this career can bring. He's also a realist, mm-hmm. but he's got he's got a son that's a winner now, and he, he, he's got to be proud as shit right oh, now, yeah. you know, and excited to for the next for the next levels to where he wants you to better what he ever did in his career, right? Yeah, I mean, he's super proud. Um, he's kind of I'd say he kind of coached me growing up. I mean, he was always there. I think he only missed like two or three races throughout my whole career. Um, he's been at pretty much every single race, so he's super proud of me. I got one question, Chad. I wondered earlier when we were hunting what the feeling 
was that you felt when you won at Talladega? What, what, like, can you describe it, man? Like, I'm sure everybody wants to know. I mean, I, uh, to me, it would be the equivalent of, uh, you know, I never, I won to, I went to the playoffs one time. Yeah. Um, and we lost to Joe Flacco and the Ravens. We'll talk about that later. Um, so I never won the big game, man. But what does that feel like? You know, what, what feelings? I mean, can you? It's, it's uh, there's so many. Um, and, like my situation at Talladega, it happened so quick. Like I, and then you have like rules. Um, I know the previous races, one my teammate he crossed the line third, but the ruling is like you can't force somebody below the yellow line or you can't pass under the yellow line, and they ended up DQing the first and second place people, and he ended up winning the race. So, and I knew I had gotten close to the yellow line, and. Uh, so I didn't want to get my hopes up before, and they say that they had, had to take the win away from me. So I hit the wall after we crossed the start-finish line pretty hard. Had to go to the ambulance. I had a feeling that we had won the race, but I didn't want to get my hopes up, like I said. And uh, once I got to the infield care center, there were people in media there greeting me, telling me that I had won the race and congratulating me. And, like, it kind of set in then, but not really. Um, it probably took two or three days after for it to awesome. really So you realize. didn't get to spin out or nothing? No, I, I, oh, I, man, I, that, man. I know. I was wanting to do a burnout. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see. Well, he got, he, got put into, uh, he got put into the wall so hard that he actually gets concussed, yeah. has to go and get medical treatment right away. That's incredible. He's the last one to get the victory lane. The car was there for a good 20 minutes before yeah. you could walk in. They had to check you out. Oh, yeah. But you're say, you, what are you saying about the yellow line? They're, they're, the, they got disqualified for what? Yeah, so you can't like go under the yellow line to advance your position, and then also you can't. If you're a car on the outside of another one, you can't force them below the yellow line, or they'll de- disqualify you. And he would. So you're saying that he was ahead of you? Well, I had gotten close to the yellow line before, um, and I didn't know if they'd say anything about like, oh, like you went under the yellow line to advance your position and you're disqualified or something like that. I didn't, I didn't want to get my hopes up. But you're saying that somebody did? Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2019, the truck race. Uh, the guy that crossed the finish line first, he he got up, disqualified. Yeah. But that didn't. I want to make sure that the audience understands because when you said that, I I, I thought that you were talking about this your no, win, no, your yeah. victory. Yeah, mine was good. Your victory was you almost hooked up with another truck. Yeah. And you crossed the finish line, and I looked at your dad. I said, we just won the race. Like, I'm part of the team. I'm like, we just won. <laughs> He's like, no, we didn't. And I'm like, and then um, I think I think somebody in Reno, it may have been a, a, a mutual friend of Dave DeRosa who introduced me to you guys. Um, her name's Christy. Somebody texted me within five minutes said, I can't believe, oh, no, I know who it was. It was Jason Nash at Federal Ammo because, mm. you know, the Federal was on yeah. the truck. He texts me, uh, Laird Hamberlin from SCI is in Hungary. He's he he's like, oh, my God, we got second place. And Jason Nash is like, we got second place. I'm like, what? We won this freaking race. <laughs> yeah. But somebody on the TV on one of the stations, I don't know if it was Fox or something, but some report came through that you got second because really? I started getting blown up. Like we got, I'm like, no, we didn't. We yeah. won this freaking race. <laughs> and so I had to keep correcting all these guys. And dude, I remember that shot that when Fox zooms in on the pit, on pit row. Everybody going crazy. Oh my God, dude. We were, it looked like a rave dance <laughs> club up on that pit, dude. We were, we were yeah. hugging and kissing and That's freaking. Awesome. I mean, it, no one fell off the pit box. It was unbelievable how, how we went from, straight you know just in 
just that anticipation, that freaking, that everybody's focused on the, the race zone, and everybody yeah. and in the zone. And then all of a sudden it was just freaking the biggest love fest of all <laughs> yeah. time, dude. It might as well have been like freaking Woodstock. We were all just hugging and like hey, everybody became fast friends. There's a lot of people invested in it, man. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. A lot of feelings. And um, to me, I mean, like I said earlier, I told you, people think that it may be somewhat of an individual sport. But it's a team sport, oh, yeah. man. Just like football, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you, you lose as a team and you win as a team. You know, that's right. It's, it's a special deal. Yeah, when when we're not winning races, everybody involved, we're everybody at the shop from the tire people, heart. interior guys, crew chiefs, uh, engine tuners. I mean, everybody. We're doing whatever we can to Every, get better. Everybody has to look, you know, look in and and figure out what they can do better. Yeah. Yeah. But you knew you were fast at a young age. People, you wouldn't have got that call for St. Louis at 17 years old if you weren't fast. Yeah. I mean, I had been around it. I had a lot of experience for my age, but also like, I didn't want to get too big-headed, too. I mean, Sounds I, to me I like he's bold yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he ain't afraid to give it. No. So when you, you hear something like that, Justin Smiley, um, he they knew he had talent, but – in football, you come up and you're playing Pop Warner, okay, or whatever it's called in the area you live in. When I was playing young uh, young football, it was, you know, it was Pee Wee, Junior Pee Wee, then Pee Wee. Pee Wee football. Yeah, yeah. Was, ours was Pop Warner, and, now, and then they have another league now uh, out in the West United States. But when did you know? Like, when you get the high school ball and you go out for – you got freshman, then you have junior varsity, and then by the time you become a junior, you're on the varsity team, and then as a senior, obviously, you're on varsity. Some of the be- some of our good sophomores played varsity as a sophomore. Is this how your career went? Were you a stud coming in your freshman year? Well, you know, to break it down, you know, I started playing football when I was five, tackle football. But at the time, there was no flag football. You know, there were no there were no alternatives, and uh, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, yeah, my mom is she's gone now, but I remember. In kindergarten, they asked you what you wanted to be, and I drew a picture. I said I wanted to play pro football. It was my dream from a very young age. Um, now, I grew up in a very small farming community in South Georgia um, where, you know, I started uh, on varsity as a freshman. But, I mean, you know, we had 35 guys. We didn't have this big whopping squad. Um, so I was a big fish in a small pond and I played in a small league, you know, 1A football, man. I mean, you know, we had 400 students, 8th through 12th grade, you know. Um, but it wasn't, I, I got my first offer. My first offer was from the University of South Carolina and I was uh, a sophomore in high school. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I was elated, you know, I was fired up, you know, I, at the time, uh, Brad Scott was a coach, but the next year, Lou Holtz would become the coach. And my cousin, Dusty Ziegler, who played 10 years in the NFL, Dusty played for Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. So we had that family connection. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, – there was no other option for me. It was, you know, small town, and it was what I wanted to do from a very young age. So when you're when you're starting as a freshman in this small rural farming community of South Georgia, do you are you a standout as a freshman? I, I'm trying to figure yeah. out when people are like, "Holy shit, this dude's got no, some s- no, serious I, chops." Listen, I, I wasn't. I wouldn't say that I was a standout. I was 
Um, I was 6'2", 235. As a freshman? As a freshman. Mm, um, your own. <laughs> hey, well, you think so. Just a little boy. And I guess, I mean, look, humans are evolving, man. I mean, people are getting bigger, faster, and stronger. Okay? I've never been 6'2". Hey, Let me I, that. I get it. Well, I, I mean, I've never been 6'4 either, and I wanted to be. Um, I mean, you know, 230 was okay, but, you know, it wasn't going to, to cut it, you know, being a, a, a badass offensive lineman, you know. So, obviously, I put on the weight, and I stayed in the weight room. The, the thing that I really had going for me was uh, – was my athleticism as an offensive lineman. I, I played defensive line as well, and I wrecked shop. And I, my, I had offers as a defensive tackle as well. Georgia Tech, I got offered as a defensive tackle. And, uh, and I talked to you earlier, Tate, about uh, being wise at a young age. And look, I'm a humble guy. Anybody that knows me can will tell you that. Yeah. But one thing that I will pat myself on the back is that at an early age, I remember making that decision because everybody wants to make a sack. Everybody wants to make a tackle. I wanted to play fullback at one time, too, because everybody wants to score a touchdown. Nobody wants to play offensive line. Okay? But this, like a switch, I remember. I almost remember where I was when it happened. I was like, I can be a mediocre, white, high-motor defensive lineman in college in – play for a couple of years or I can be an offensive lineman and I can be um, above average athlete I mean because I was running a 4-8 okay this is where I'm going with this yeah you got to educate me on this because Mm 6-2-235 is a linebacker in the NFL I mean that's a pretty average linebacker size right uh average yeah for sure average so if you're a freshman in high school and you're 15 16 years old do you know that you're going to, like, not have the body of a linebacker at that time? Well, my question the, is, is why can't that, you, why can't question, you get Dad. buff and ripped up and, and, and become a linebacker? And, because now I want to tell you this before you say, I watched you run today when you, the geese were coming, yeah. and you had to run back, and you were there was a couple other guys out there, and you look like an athlete. I'm not saying they didn't. I was just paying attention to you. You have you look like an athlete. You don't look like a lineman per se. Yeah. Not that linemen aren't athletes. So no, I don't want to get my I ass understand. kicked by a lineman. I know what you know you're what I'm saying? saying. Like, why didn't you stay like look, a linebacker? Hey, that's a great question, man. And look, that is the fear of me as a father and having young boys who are dying to play tackle football is that they are coached by a guy who plays them out of position and does them no favor. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, they're just going to be a, a, a run-of-the-mill linebacker in high school and he's, gonna t- he's going to reach his potential. Yeah, sure, I could have done that. But I talked to you a while ago about wisdom, man. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, look, I'm going to stay in the weight room. And I know I'm going to get a little taller because I'm only 16 years old. Hopefully I'll get another inch taller. And 6'2 is, is, is okay. 6'3 will get me, get me to where I want to be. And I keep lifting weights and doing all these things. And I'll be 290 pounds one day. And, uh, and it came to, uh, you know, it, it bared fruit. But, I mean, I, that is a great question. Like, a lot, I think a lot of guys do get – they get lost in the shuffle, man, because they 
it's they play where they're at at the time, not where they're going to be. Yeah, but it's 6'2", 235 pounds as a freshman running a 4'8". A 4'8 is not an offensive lineman's 40. I'm telling you straight up, I know for a fact it's not. That's more like a 5'1", 5'2". That's right. A 4'8 is is a pretty good wide receiver at high school, unless yeah. you have a God-given talent like Bo Jackson or something. I'm with you. But 4'8 a pretty good 40 time for an offensive lineman. I'm just well, I'm just trying to picture like, man, if you're hey, 6'2", you could have been a tight end. I remember. Is a I, tight end about a 4'8? Or what, what, is, it, what know, does Gronk I mean, run, you I think? Really, he's a four, high 4'6", four, 4'7". Four, but, I mean, he's an elite He's an elite. So four uh, I mean, eights average, yeah, I right? I would say a four eight is a. Good, Did you have good hands? Could you catch? Um, you just I'm, look. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out. I guess here's where I'm going with it, and I don't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Please don't take it like that. No. Linemen ha- linemen are known for being heftier. They are known for the a little bit of a gut. Mm-hmm. Okay. They they might not necessarily look like. Um, like a like John Cena when they take their shirt. A lot of these wide receivers and tight ends and linebackers are torqued, right? They get yeah. there's different body types in the NFL. Yeah. Offensive and defensive linemen have relatively historically, in my opinion, from what I remember, been have a gut, a little bit of a gut, and they're mm-hmm. built different. They're heavier. They, they got to be because they got to push weight. Yeah. So when do you make that decision? If you're 6'2", 235, running a 4'8", you got to be in some type of great shape. When do you make that decision that you have to start becoming the physique of alignment? And I'm not saying that you are. You're still in good shape. I, but I there's completely. difference in the physiques. When does that decision come in of like, I'm going to go down this road of, do you got to start eating a bunch? Do you got to carb load a bunch to where you got to get heavier? Yeah, yeah, I mean – it, I didn't run into an issue of putting on weight as a young age. Um, now, when I got to the NFL, I had a really hard time keeping on weight, okay? It would be nothing for me to um, – I remember one practice in Miami. I lost 16 pounds one day during training camp. I mean, and they had to hook me up to IVs, and I got four bags of fluid. I mean, dang. You know, I mean, I weighed 280-something. It, it was a struggle for me. But I'm telling you, I remember that almost where I was at when I was like, you know what, man? Like, yes, I'm 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 running well, and I could I could play fullback or I could play tight end, but I'm gonna play offensive line, and I'm gonna be a superb athlete. I'm gonna excel at as far as athleticism goes as an offensive lineman. I remember that at a young age, and I think that that was. The catalyst. You weigh two eighty right now. Um, I, I weigh three oh five now. You played at two eighty five. Um, in sometimes I, that I, seems small to me for I an offensive line. I was the smallest guard in the NFL for uh, eight years. So I, I don't want to cut you off from your thought, and I'm and, and I, I'm just so I'm so um, astounded by the fact that. You when you told me that you ran a four eight and that you're six two two thirty five as a freshman. I'm just wondering how the mindset works to go to a lineman when you are going to be small at the position. And if you're an athlete and you have the 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 decision making process is there to where you could go from being the man to being somebody that's very rarely talked about, which is sad because the offensive line is who's down in the trenches on every single play. Yeah. But there's there's gotta be some cognitive decision of where you're like 
I don't want to be the tight end. I don't want to be the linebacker. I don't need to be the standout. I'm going to be come very, and obviously it was the right decision because you've made a very, very good living yeah. as and, and signed a big contract as an offensive lineman, which we're going to get into that because that's sure. a big part of, of, of making a living, which is the theme of this podcast episode. I just can't figure out, Justin Smiley, where that decision comes of now I got to beef up. I'm going to start because you gotta be bigger to play offensive yeah, line. You, you just you have do. to. My you, my best friend in the world, Wade Platts, who just emailed me about Talladega, about going this year to Talladega, was an, a center at, at D1 University of Nevada Reno and a very good center and a deep snapper. That's but right. he was not big enough to go to the next level. He was too small to go to the next level. So he was he was, compared to us in high school. He was big, big but man. he wasn't big enough to go to the NFL. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, you were not big enough to go to the NFL, but you made it to the NFL and played at 280 pounds. Yeah, my my dad, um, you know, we talked about this earlier. You were going to talk about history, you know, history of family and stuff. <clears throat> I didn't have anybody in my family play football. Nobody, I mean, nobody played high school football. You know, like I told you, you know, I <laughs> – I mean, I have to be honest. I mean, I grew up in a in a very poor part of uh, a peanut farm community, and uh, I mean, people rarely graduate high school. So, playing high school football, I mean, they went straight to work, you know. But I didn't want that, man. I wanted to get the hell out of Ellabelle, Georgia. You know, it wasn't what I desired, and I just like I said, from a, a young age, uh, you know, that light switch where I was like, man, I'm going to put on some weight and I'm going to be a fast, athletic offensive lineman. And that is, that's all of it. I mean, that was the end of the story, man. And I put my mind to it and I did it. Okay, so that decision's made. We talked about Tate Fogelman's story of, of advancement or promotion. You are playing in a small, small town. You already admitted you're a big fish in a small pond. Give me and Tate the story and you feel free to jump in here whenever you want to talk about athletics because you're making your living doing this. I'm just a duck hunter. I want to know what happens in this small little town. I remember in Reno, it's probably 400,000 people right now. Back when I was in high school, it was probably 250. And I remember that just everything we wanted to do is open up that newspaper and see the box score or see your name in there. Hey, building two for three. And yeah. I, when my brother was playing after I graduated, I'd go in there and look at it because I was so proud. We don't even have that really anymore. You know, that sucks to actually put your hands on a newspaper and look in the box score. You're what right. what happened? What was going on your junior, senior year? Um, I'm sure that it's Letterman's jackets. I'm sure that you're the BMOC. You're the big man on campus. How how does the rec- you get to take five recruiting trips to D one yeah, schools five official visits talk yeah. to me about what's going on I watch we've all watched the movie The Blind Side yeah we've all we've all kind of get the idea of what happens to these small town high school kids that all of a sudden wow you played at freaking Alabama they're the best team in college football right now Nick Saban's won like seven or eight national champions one with LSU and I think six with Alabama That's right. you were before the Saban era mm-hmm. but Alabama's still a powerhouse. Talk to me about what's going on in this small rural town of Georgia, your junior and senior year. Are the are the lights on you? Is there a lot of, like, scouts coming to watch you play? Or not, yeah, I guess, yeah. recruiters mainly. Yeah, yeah. What's going on in your life at that time? Um, yeah, so, you know, I talked, I touched on it earlier about my first offer. Um, my junior year really ramped up after, uh, after the season. And, uh, you know, 
I was blessed. I mean, I had 50-something offers. And it wow. was cool because, um, you know, I mean, I was always humble. But, you know, one day at lunch, it'd be Steve Spurrier would come and have lunch with me in our lunchroom. And everybody's <laughs> like, oh, shit, that's Steve Spurrier. And then the next day, it'd be Lou Holtz. And it was just like that. Lou Holtz ate lunch with you in your lunchroom? It, hey, look, it was like that every day. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just, it was just a small town and everybody embraced and everybody loved me. Um, the newspaper, I mean, like you said, I mean, dude, that's what you lived for, man. And, you know, I think about those quad drums, man, you know, uh, Friday Night Lights and the, the. Running through the paper and oh, the cheerleaders just, and the fans. I mean, and, that's what it was about, oh, man, man, dude, when, when, I mean, football at its purest form and, uh, and, and it was just, it was a. It, just every day, every game. I mean, uh, Clemson or Auburn. And I remember looking up in the stands and Hugh Nall, the offensive line coach at uh, Auburn, they, they were on me hard. And he'd be up there in the stands giving me a thumbs up every game. I mean, it was just the – it would be 10 or 12 uh, schools at every game. Wow. To see me. Um, um, it was it was really special. And I knew that uh, – are you playing any other sports before you go any further? No. Are you a baseball or a, fo- or a basketball or any other sports at all? Man, I'm, listen, don't I'm, tell me you were water polo or freaking no, golf. Hey, or we didn't listen. We didn't even have a wrestling team. I mean, wrestling. I had never. I mean, we just didn't have it. So it was football. It, it was football. Now we had baseball, and uh, in in tenth grade, I, I, I pitched, and uh, and I loved baseball. I Man, I, I was crazy about it. But one of these deals where you have to make a wise decision, man. I pat myself on the back, but I remember the moment where I was like, hey, I'm not going to play baseball anymore. I'm going to focus on football. I'm not going to do it. And I loved it. it I mean, paid I off. It. Paid off. Yeah, it did. Did you I, have the talent in baseball? Were you an okay no. arm? I, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I was – I mean, I did really well, you know, coming up through, you know, the, the ranks. But, I mean, you know, obviously it wasn't going to pay the bills. And I didn't know that football was going to, but I knew one thing. I was getting out of Ellabelle, Georgia, and I was going to go get a college education, and I was going to play football. But, but I was big on setting goals, and that was something that I, I'll talk about for a minute. I always set ob- obtainable goals, okay? I said to myself, and, and I wasn't crazy, I said, hey, look here, if I sign with a big D1 school and, um, you know, I, I, I make it, I make the team – and if I never start a game, I'm going to play my ass off and I'm going to do my thing. And then it was – I became a starter. And then I was like, well, I want to become an all-conference player. And then when I became All-SEC, I wanted to be an All-American. And then I became an All-American. And then I was like, hey, I want to be the first guard drafted. Well, I wound up coming out and I was – I came out as a junior. Which doesn't happen Which very. guards don't come out um, – don't come out early, and they don't get drafted in the first round. I had a first-round grade. Now, I, I slipped to the second round. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit. But, um, I mean, th- my wildest dreams came true, man. But, I mean, I, I am proof that I could tell you some crazy stories, man. I mean, I used to run up and down. We lived on this rural road, dirt road, and we would go to the restaurant in town. It was three or four miles away, and we would eat dinner as a family, and I would run back. And I would run there and run back. It's like the Rocky story. Just like it. 
It's like the Rocky just story. like it, and I did it the Mike, daily. The Mike Tyson story with with Gus D'Amato just running. Yeah, I mean, I I listen every chance. I remember the the nightlight in the yard. I'd be out there doing pass sets and doing footwork. That's awesome. But I but it was my ticket what, what, to what, get the hell out. What? Okay, so you keep saying get the hell out. You also said some people don't even graduate high school. Some people. You know, most people probably stay there. That's life, right? Nobody there's, ever leaves. there's so many country music songs that are written about nobody ever leaving the small town, right? It's a fact. Eric Church has a song called Round Here Buzz. Mm-hmm. Do you know the words of this song? I want you to listen to it. We're going to listen to it tonight together, but it talks about that Friday Night Lights and that small town Look, and that tailgate. That song. that song drives me nuts, dude. Um, Talk to me about mom and dad and aunt and uncles and brothers and sisters. I don't know what your sibling likes life was, but was it like, ah, oh, shit, that's just Justin out there doing his past sets and the light in the yard. Ah, oh, Justin, go ahead and run if you want, but we know you're going to be farming in a couple of years. You might as well just get your peanut shovel and go out there in the field. Did they support you? Did they have the same aspirations? Were they excited for you? I know you said your mom passed, and I'm sorry, my dad passed a while back too, but yeah. did they support you? Were they excited? Talk to me a little bit about what the support system was with your immediate family. Yeah. Look, I only know how to be real and be frank. They made sure that I, before I could drive, that I got to and fro. But other than that, I don't think anybody ever really saw. I mean, they didn't know what a pro football player looked like. They didn't know what a college football player looked like. They just knew what I was doing, but they never brought any attention to it. It was never talked about. I'm sure my mom and dad were proud. I never heard it. But, I mean, my, my mom and dad both passed and my stepfather passed. Um, I know that they were. And I took very, very good care of them in their later years. Um, but you, other than making sure that, that I was there and, and I got a lot different than your story, Tay. And, and when you said that, um, dude, it's, it must be amazing to have, you know, somebody who, you know, supports. I mean, dude, the sky's the freaking yeah. limit. Just remember, you know, I mean, I, I was going to do it no matter what, but it, it wasn't always that easy. So know? do you do you feel like as you're as you're making this high school career come in and you have all these college scouts coming to you, is it hard to shoulder for a senior in high school with there, you just admitted there's you knew they supported you, but it wasn't evident. Like it wasn't like, hey man, this is you know, are they part of this process? And like, how are you shouldering this? How are you taking it to where are you like, holy shit, dude, Lou Holtz is here. Like yeah. I remember Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. Like, are you telling yourself like, what is Steve Spurrier doing here? Or did you start to develop some arrogance? Because now you have to start developing that skin of like, hey, I'm the I, real deal. I'm here. Yeah, you know, listen, I can. I can look in your eye and tell you I've never – I've always been super, super humble. I think almost to a fault. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. I mean, that's just, just me. The way I looked at it is that football is something that I did. I'm obviously uh, – I worked really hard at it. But, um, you know, I mean, we all have gifts. And, you know, that's just the way I looked at it. I mean, yours is yeah. driving – uh, these cars unbelievable and fast. shooting geese did yeah, you see I mean, him shoot yeah, today I mean that first one he rolled him up I mean and Chad I mean obviously you have a gift I you know I just looked at it like that 
I never let it go to my head. I always used it as a uh, as a platform to uh, you know to help or to bring attention uh, to certain causes or, or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, to me, I mean, football, man. I, I just I remember as a kid, my wife Amber. She's the only other person I've ever told this. It's pretty special. I would cry like a baby and sob every year football the season the last game would end I would cry like I do in duck season and I do the same thing too man like I'm already thinking about January well I'm thinking about snow geese because so we got a lot of other options but I do the same but I'm, ducks I'm like, are ducks yeah I'm like ducks. what do I do with my life now I mean like this is what God created me to do and uh, I'm lost without it you know I mean and, and to me that's what that was the driving force, you know? So we're going to transition back to Tate in a minute. And we're going to start talking because I think it's really cool that you played f- f- college football at Crimson Tide, Alabama. Mm-hmm. You win Talladega. That's kind yeah, of a cool correlation. But why? You just said some coaches' names that I recognize. I think Spurry was – I don't remember who he was, Florida? Yeah, it's Florida. Back there. You want me okay. to tell you the story why Alabama? No, that's what I'm getting at. But yeah. Lou Holtz at this time, is he still with Notre Dame or was he no, moved Lou on? No, Lou Holtz was at South Carolina He was at, at South Carolina now. Yeah. But he's still legendary. Uh, Can Holtz. I ask a question real quick because yeah. I'm really ignorant? To, is he still alive? He is alive. Okay, is he still commentating at all? Or is... um, he still does not – you remember when he was on ESPN and doing stuff? He's not doing that, but he still does podcasts. He's still involved. Okay, because him and Dick Vitale – are the guys that I grew up like? I, I mean, me too, man. I, I'm not a basketball guy anymore, but it was when I was when I would l- watch like Chris Weber and the Michigan Wolverines. Or I'm going to throw some names at you that you will never yeah, recognize, but Larry head. Johnson, yeah. Stacy Ogman, George Ackles, Anderson Hunt, and Greg Anthony when UNLV was unreal in like '89, '90 mm-hmm. when they beat Christian Leitner and the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah. I was a huge college basketball fan back then just because I was in Vatican. Now, Jerry Tarkanian biting on his towel. But those are the guys. Mike, I, I'm going a little off straight here, but why Alabama when you got Spurrier and the Gators there? You got Lou Holtz and the Gamecocks there. Why do you, you run to Alabama when they're not even you, a powerhouse at the time? Yeah, they definitely weren't. Um, this is a crazy story. Um, and I'll give you the – the, the short version. But I told you that I had over 50 offers. I mean, we're talking, you just had a name Spurrier and, and uh, Lou Holtz, just to name a few. But I'm talking about all of the power five and, you know, I mean, from small town. Um, so I actually committed to Florida early on in the recruiting process. And I was going to go to Florida. I loved Florida. It was close. Gainesville was only two and a half hours from the house. And uh, and oddly enough, Georgia, who I mean, I grew up close to Savannah, Sonny Siler, the Silers, they're the ones that that breed and have produced all the Bulldogs. I mean, Savannah's Georgia, um, Georgia Bulldog country. I grew up surrounded by it. They were the last school to offer me. And it chapped my ass worse than you could ever imagine. <laughs> and I, I just gave them the two, you know, Jim Donovan was the coach at the time. And they had two kids, two guys, that they want, that they wanted. And they were going to sign two offensive linemen. And it happened to be, I wasn't, I had a shit ton of offers, but I wasn't the, the five-star recruit, okay? The, at the time, they weren't doing the stars. But I was the third best offensive lineman in the state of Georgia. 
they wanted Sean Young and Jason Respert. These two guys, one was from uh, from outside of Atlanta and one was from Warner Robins, Georgia. Georgia wanted these two. Well, both of those close to signing day signed with Tennessee. So then Georgia comes back. Both like, of them hey. did? Yeah, both of them. How does the how, – They signed both of them, bro. So Are the volunteers a, a powerhouse at this time? Yeah, I mean, Fulmer was – I mean, they were they, – they Okay, were I'm sorry for interrupting. No, you're but, fine. They were so competing. they get them both. They get yeah. both of the top offensive linemen recruits in the state yeah. of Georgia. So then I'm the third wheel. Georgia comes and says, hey, Justin, here's your offer. And I flick them off. I'm like, hey, man, screw off. Dabo Sweeney – who's the Clemson coach, and everybody knows who Dabo is, and, I mean, everybody loves. Dabo played at Alabama, played on the 92 National Championship team, was a receiver. And at the time, to be a coach at Alabama, you had to be part of the Alabama family. They didn't hire outside of Bama. And, it, and to me, that meant a lot. And Dabo, I remember I was committed to Florida, and I had my own line, my own phone in my room because the college coaches would blow my mom the phone up and mom's like you're getting your own line so Dabo I, I left a, a voicemail on my phone saying that I was closing down recruiting that I was committed to Florida and I was I wasn't going to talk to anybody else Dabo was the only person that didn't give up so he got in my mom's ear and I had never flown before and he said look you can take five official visits well, South Carolina was one of them because my cousin played for Lou Holtz, and Lou was at South Carolina. And then I went to Florida because I was committed. Dabo taught my mom into making me go on an Alabama visit. And they come, and they pick me up in Statesboro, Georgia, on the team's Learjet. <laughs> and I had never flown before, and I'm flying 700 miles an hour. Private, just oh, private. Oh, dude, just me lounging back, eating peanuts. I'm just like, dude, this is it. I love to hunt. They knew this. They buzz Bear Bryant Jr.'s green fields, and they're like, hey, Justin, look down, look at all the deer. On my official visit, they put me in a deer stand, and they take me hunting. Wow. They wooed me, man, and I was like, I'm going to Alabama. Screw it, Florida, I'm done with it, blah, blah, blah. Well, Spurrier got pissed off, and we talked about Alabama going on probation. That was a big deal um, because of all the, the Memphis stuff and all that Lin Lang, but different story. But anyways, Alabama, you know, and Dabo never gave up on me. And uh, and I just – I went there and I went – Well, we do, we do have to say this before I transition – Y'all were good. You just didn't know because of these because of the NCAA yeah, violations. We, we you guys won the the SEC West. Yeah, yeah. See the the fans. Your fans will. A lot of people don't know this. We won on probation because of Lynn Lang recruiting was a huge violations. Alabama booster, and he was funneling these Memphis kids. Tennessee couldn't get anybody. Alabama was getting them. Lynn Lang was paying all of these high school coaches. Well, NCAA, this is public knowledge. This is public knowledge. Yeah, now. Um, and just crazy stuff. Lynn Lang wound up getting killed. Yeah, this is nuts. This is nuts. Anyway, somebody went into his house and murdered him shortly afterwards. This still is unsolved. But anyways, Alabama goes on wow. probation. They hand down, I'm talking about, like the hammer. They dropped the hammer on us. No bowl games for four years. Cannot, cannot, uh win the national championship, can't represent the SEC, blah, blah, blah. And Mal Moore, the AD, said, you guys can transfer without penalty because there was a transfer portal at the time. We didn't have one guy leave. Not one Not guy Not one leave. guy because we loved Alabama. 
It wasn't like these guys are now. Uh, we don't get any playing time. I'm going to jump in the portal and I'm going to jump ship. We knew we weren't going to go anywhere. We knew we weren't going to play for a bowl game. We knew we weren't going to – I mean, man, I mean, bowl games, how you make your money. I mean, you yeah. get your nice watch and all that. We knew we weren't going to do that, but nobody left. And it says a lot about Alabama. Does, does the violation mess with the scouts at all? Does that prohibit the NFL from anything? Not at do all. They, but do because if you're not going to play in a bowl game and they know that, do they still are they still hot and heavy Man, on the talent? And listen, at Alabama, I mean, at every practice, at every practice, there would be 20 scouts at every practice. Even though it, you're on violation, it, it didn't just matter because they I mean, knew this Alabama man. I mean, they knew. I mean, come on, look at all the guys we've had through the years. But let's make sure that you guys, you guys, were had a, a what a ten and two record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I skipped right over that. But yes, I mean, we won the SEC West in 2002. Would have played Georgia in the SEC Championship. We would have went to a uh, one of the big bowl games. We went to Sugar Bowl that year, but we could not. It's not like we were we weren't good. We just couldn't. We could not Couldn't do it. represent because of the violations, and people don't know that. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like they are now. I mean, you know, every year now we're contending for the national championship. It wasn't like that. But it was still a special place. I want to talk about you, the word you just said, violations, and I want to ask Tate this. Um, when I was playing college baseball, there was no such thing as I couldn't even go out and get a job. If you had a certain amount, and I believe this is correct, and the NCAA maybe I might be wrong on this, and Justin might know the exact rules, Tate. But if you had a certain amount of, of your school paid for, you couldn't go out and get a, a job to make subsidiary income to help pay for Taco Bell on a Friday night. Okay, you were under the the wraps of that scholarship. Yeah. Now we have this NIL. Um. You are a college student, but you're not on a college team, but you're an athlete. You're a profession. You're making money driving a truck in NASCAR, <laughs> not just driving a truck cross country, like which uh, God bless all the truck drivers, but you're a, a professional NASCAR truck driver winning races. How do you feel about the new law now? You love Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship two nights ago. How do you feel about the quarterback for Alabama, his alma mater, signs a million-dollar deal before he takes a snap in the in college? Uh, two years before this, this man could not make any subsidiary income, even though they're selling his jerseys, they're packing the house with the this, the ticket sales. The I, I don't know what else they charge for in football. Where I play football or where I watch college football in Nevada, they have beer sales. Nevada is a you can drink yeah. at the stadium. I don't know if yeah, Alabama it's the Bible do. Belt, bro. So the Bible Belt, there's <laughs> no. no beer sales, but there's a lot of money being made on these games. He just made reference that you go to a bull game, that school gets paid. Yeah. How do you feel, Tate? Though you're in college. And you're making a living and getting paid by sponsors, by winning races, doing all this shit. Do you think college athletes should be allowed to make some money for the work they're doing on a daily basis, the dedication, the the drive and tenacity they have? And they're making that organization, that campus, that I guess what is a a, a college? It's a it's, it's is it a business? Is a college a business? State owned colleges the, maybe they're, not. They're they're in the business of making money. They're I mean, making they money, right? Yeah. How do you feel about it? Do you do you think they should be able to make this money? I mean, they're the ones making the money for the school. So I mean, I feel like they should be rewarded. I mean, the school's using their performance, their name, and uh, I mean, I think they should be getting rewarded for it and like the the time and everything else that that they're putting into it more than just any other college student. Well, you know, a lot of people would argue though, Tate, that. Um, they are giving you 
an education, you know, and and that is the that is the the whole the whole deal. Everybody's you know, Dabo Sweeney was a big, uh, you know, he 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 didn't like the idea at all. He said, "Hey, look here, let's don't you know, let's don't take the amateurs." The amateurship out of it, you know. These guys are going to school; they're getting an education. Let's keep it at that. But I do remember not being able to go to Checkers on a Friday night after we went out, just too broke. Yeah, too you know? broke. Yeah, but man. you're making. But they just made a hundred, uh, a couple hundred thousand on the game, if not more. Yeah, I mean, you look. You think about like Alabama played Mercer last year. The Mercer Bears. We paid them a million dollars to yeah. come to Tuscaloosa to get beat down. Yeah, but you know we can't afford the burger. The big Buford, <laughs> the big Buford. So when you're when you're making your living right now in a truck, and you've got to go back to that campus, do you? And I mean this wholeheartedly. I need you to answer this wholeheartedly because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. You win Talladega. Your boy Gregson's out there winning. You see what can happen financially to victory yeah am i clear with this question yeah. you go back and you're in that class and you're like remember the adam sandler movie where he's like chlorophyll borophyll remember remember billy madison yeah. like is it hard to stay focused when you know what can be with this driving but you got to have something to fall back on but is yeah. it is it hard for you to to discipline yourself tate of being like i know you're a smart kid but man, if you're out here winning Talladega and you got all this energy out here, is it hard? To, and I want you to talk about this after Justin. Is it hard to play on Saturday and then go back to the classroom on Monday when you know my, the NFL my, scouts are paying my attention? My story is even crazier, but I, I want to hear what you got. So, to say. is it hard for you to focus? Yeah, I mean, I just from middle school, high school, everything. I've never liked school at all. I hate schoolwork. I hate having to read, do that stuff. I mean. I'd rather be out working with my dad, doing something hands-on. I'd rather be working than sitting in school any day of the week. But uh, So it's just been hard for me, but also my mom. She was dead set on me getting an education, my dad too. And uh, I also see the importance of that. So I kind of – I don't enjoy it all the time. I, I think it's something I need to do. It's something that I, uh, I'm lucky to have the opportunity to, to my parents uh, – Lucky to have parents that they're paying for me to go to school, and I'm gonna take full advantage of that too. Do you have a fan base at this campus? When they were playing the national championship the other night, they they revered, revered back to the Georgia Stadium where the Bulldogs play, or the Bulldogs play, and there was fans in the stadium watching it from Indianapolis that didn't fly up and make the trip to the actual physical live game. When you get back to campus after you win Talladega, is there a support system there, or is NASCAR doing a good job? Are people really in tune? Because you live in the South where NASCAR was born. I think NASCAR is born in Georgia. If I if I remember right, or Carolina, South. Yeah, All like, I know is that North Carolina. I mean, yeah. NASCAR headquarters is in Charlotte, so Charlotte. I don't say that anybody's crazier. I mean, he's from the. So yeah, you, Charlotte, Morrisville area. Does like, the campus pay attention? Like the campus pays attention when Justin's playing on Saturday for Alabama. Yeah, I think like I'm in a fraternity at High Point University, so like the people in my fraternity, the people I'm close with, they're really involved in it. I mean, they'll they'll all go to the house and watch my races when they can. Um, but like the people teachers and stuff like that when I have to go to like ask for absences and stuff I mean some t teachers don't even really know what I'm doing really they think I'm just going to play around and and don't really take me seriously when I'm telling them I'm having to leave to go race so I mean there's some people that that aren't really aware of really what's going on um which makes it tough but yeah. with getting assignments done and stuff like that but most all my friends they're uh they're really supportive and, and try to uh, support me and watch whenever they can 
So you play D1 football at a high level, as big as it gets, SEC. Yes, sir. Football's a religion in the SEC. It truly is. That's like right. this is life for it's the all Southerners. All that matters. Um, do you feel that this NIL deal is a legitimate thing? Where's the cap? How do you how do you say I'm going to give somebody a million dollars before they take a snap? Is it legit deal? Do you wish you would have been able to make some money from some sponsorship deals, promotional deals when you were playing? What's your stance on it? Well, you know, I'm. I think that there there should be a cap. I mean, yeah, my deal is this: is that some guys, some guys, you know, you know, you have a, a Bryce Young who obviously is a stud, and uh, he is absolutely, you know, just ripping it up. Yeah, he should get some, but the the offensive line who's blocking for him, they don't get any love. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because they're they're not the face of the franchise, yeah. you know, especially, I mean, now the left tackle in the NFL, everybody knows who he is. But the offensive lineman in Alabama, they don't for yeah. the most part. Um, so it's tough. Um, but we talked about school earlier. It was unbelievably hard for me because I left as a junior. I did not graduate at the mm-hmm. time. I played eight years in the NFL, and I came back to Alabama and went back to school really? and got my degree. I'm talking about hard, man. Oh, I bet. Because I'd already made a shit ton of money. Yeah, um, that would have pretty much been impossible yeah, for me to I do. Mean, well, I mean, and I thought it was for me too, but then I had two semesters left. Yeah. And the I, I'm a terrible math student. Yeah, okay? that's me. I, listen, terrible. Yeah, that's I me. mean, bad. I couldn't even pass math at Alabama, and I tell everybody this. I had to go to the damn community college to take math. I put up all my math until the end. So all I had to do was math, and I was dreading it, man. I'm like, gosh, if I want to graduate, I got to go take these math classes. But I'm so close, I owe that to myself. Mm-hmm. Just because I was so close, yeah. you know? And and I forced myself to go. And uh, I'm so glad I did now yeah. because I got that. Nobody can ever take it no. from me. I'm more proud of my degree than – all the money I made in the NFL, man, because you know, I mean, you tell your kids, "Hey, listen, you need to, you need to go to school and you need to do your best." Most of us talk, you yeah. know, but I mean, dude, you can show it. Yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> I was faced with, I made a shit ton of money, I didn't have to go to school, and I'm thirty something years old. I play eight years in the NFL. I go back to school, and I am like, I stand up, and the desk is stuck to me. <laughs> you know, I'm too big for the desk. But, dude, I went back and I got my degree, and I'm so freaking proud of that. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, just can't take it from you. No. What, where do you – when you watch college athletics, and we're relating this to the NIL deal, do you – you hear the terms taken advantage of. Were the players taken advantage of for the last 30 years of the money these institu- – that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. These institutions are making huge money. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. And then we could get into conversations about, okay, well, scholarships, you know, there's all these laws, and, I, and I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that I know them all. But there's been new regulations and laws put into like, hey, this many scholarships are allowed for this, and then it's male against female, and then it's wrestling is taken away from this. Prop 48 or something. Prop 48, yeah. yeah. You know, football brings in the most money, so they're giving the most scholarships. Baseball's here, basketball's here. You get into all of that, but these guys are making these institutions a lot of money. And for years, they weren't even allowed to go out and get a job to make extra money. 
if they were good. if they were on a scholarship. That's 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 kind of a crazy way to yeah. think. To where I remember when I was in college and I was an average, below average baseball player. I was just like I am now. Like I had the tenacity. My my you my loved col- it, my college baseball coach t- called me the biggest recruiting mistake he's ever made. Oh. <laughs> that's and he's still one of my greatest friends. He's seventy seven <laughs> years old now, and he's in the NCAA Hall of Fame. It didn't matter at the time because now I look back at it like there there was a reason I did that. It taught me even how to be more have more tenacity and focus and try to become better but there there was a, there was this this part of me when i was in college at UNLV i was doing shit of like man i'm not i'm not going to not go to watch mike tyson fight or i watched i was in third row for evander holyfield against riddick bow and the fan man came into caesar's palace outdoor arena there was a way i got those tickets i was working figuring out how to work the system mm-hmm. and i'm like man, I was doing shit wrong. I, it wasn't right. I was illegal to take the tickets that I was getting because it was breaking NCAA violations at the time. And I was ignorant to it, but you are, you can't even accept a present for the longest time. You couldn't even say like, Hey Chad, we'd like you to, to, to go watch Mike Tyson fight. Here's some tickets. Welcome to town. That's I was no. breaking the law. Yeah. I mean, I listen, played at Bama, man, you know, you talk about hundred dollar handshakes and I mean, I lived, during the era of the greatest boosters. I mean, the greatest, I mean, Alabama University and such a great love for all of us. If you played football at Alabama, they absolutely loved you. And it didn't matter if you were an All-American or you were fourth string, you were going to make it. You know, you may, I mean, I'm talking about a personal experience here and I'm not going to go into detail. Uh, You know, I had a certain person's yard that had a house on the, the shade of Bryant Denny, the stadium, and I would cut it, and I would pay. I was paid more than more than handsomely, and <laughs> to cut that, yeah, yeah, and 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 you had to do those things because we weren't afforded those deals. And I remember wanting to do stuff and worried, sick that I was going to break some NCAA rule. And you know now you've got this stuff, um, but not one time. To answer your question, not one time did I think that. Uh, that I was being cut out or that, um, you know, I just you were just happy that, to be there, man, dude, I was playing football in Alabama and they were giving me an opportunity to, to get an education so are, and I could play in the NFL. So you come in from small town, Georgia on a full ride scholarship. Do you start your freshman year? Or do you redshirt? I, uh, I redshirted my first year and, uh, going into that season, we were ranked number three in the country. And uh, they brought all five starters back on the offensive line, and three of them were all SEC players. Um, none of them ever went on to play in the NFL and have any career, but they were good college football players. And uh, they had Sean Alexander at running back. I mean, so stacked. Stud, yeah. So I go up, and I, me and one other guy were the only freshmen to get to travel the whole year. So as a redshirt? As a, as but a, do they redshirt you at the beginning of the year, or do they wait a they, while? Listen, we, they, we played Ole Miss. And they tried to put me in. And at the time, the oh, rules they tried were to different. put you in. They tried to put me in, and I told them I wasn't going in because we were halfway through the season. You and don't I want to lose your right year yeah. for, for nothing. But why would they do that? Because, because they, they had didn't... an injury, and they, and they wanted to put me in. And they wanted to keep their stance as number three in the yeah. country or try yeah. to win the national championship. Yeah, so they go to put me in, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. And it took a lot of balls on my part. I'm like, God, I'm not going to blow my redshirt year over a couple of plays, and, and this guy may come back next week and play. So I held out, but we went to UCLA, and we were ranked number three in the country. And 
we go there, and there, I mean, you know, obviously the Rose Bowl. Man, I mean, I came from South Georgia playing in front of 200 people, and my first game is in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And uh, they get the ball first, and uh, they go three and out. They punt it to us. We return the punt for a touchdown. I'm like, yeah, baby, here we go. We didn't win another game that year. So I'm like, I, I didn't feel bad. I'm like, you know what? We're going to regroup. You were then, you were one in ten on the year or something. Oh yeah, yeah. On your I, freshman year, you know your yeah. redshirt year. Yeah, my my the year I redshirted that I didn't play. Wait, but you said you were so you were preseason three, preseason number three, and you go one in ten. They screwed that up. How they? bad do they get these rankings? Hey, it was bad. It was bad. I mean, they, you only win just, one game. Your 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 yeah. true fr- Look, not this isn't your true freshman. This is your University of Central Florida that year. Which they become a powerhouse a few hey, years they, later. Look, they weren't that year. Not year, but they you know, do become good. They beat us in Tuscaloosa. Are they still good? I haven't paid attention. I know last year they were ballers, and I don't know how they are this year. But, I mean, they've gotten much better. But they came to Tuscaloosa and beat us. So, do you start your true freshman year, as, which, which is really your second year at yeah, Alabama? So, I now started. you're 20. Yes. You're 20 years old. You're starting on the offensive line. Started that year. And now, I was freshman All-American that year. Freshman All-American. Ball. And then you and then you become all SEC Set, freshman. My sophomore year, I, I was an all SEC player. And then your junior year, an all American first all team. All American and first team all American that year. I was a Playboy All American. Got to go to the Playboy Mansion. Oh, never, that's never heard of it. That's never, another, that's another never, podcast. He's, guys. he's never heard of it. Look, it's another podcast. <laughs> um, anyways, it was amazing. So okay, now we talked about where you were on, on high school. Where are you now on draft day? You've made mention that you have a first-round grade, which means you're probably more than likely going to be drafted in the first round. You say you slip to the second round. Do you go to a combine? Yeah, so I got the invite from the combine. And, you know, the top, I would say the top five players at each position get a combine invite, and it's in Indianapolis. And at the time it was the old – In uh, Lucas Oil? Yep, yeah, but it was the old. It was like regular, like AstroTurf. The old deal, and uh, um, the way that the the you if you submitted your name uh, to the advisory committee, which was composed of uh, ten GMs in the NFL and like uh, five head coaches, and it would change every year. You would submit your name to that, and uh, they would give you a grade back. What they projected you to be, I had a first round grade. Um, now, these guys, obviously, they were always pretty spot on. You know, I mean, I mean, historically, dead on. I mean, so they knew. I mean, because they have a lot of – I mean, these notes, these scouts are at every practice, you know. Um, but we had a draft party, and uh, we had it at a restaurant, a very famous seafood restaurant there in my hometown, and uh, had everybody. And uh, the Patriots call it the 32nd pick. You know, they had won the Super Bowl, so they picked last. And uh, they called and said they were getting ready to draft me. So I thought I was going to New England. And New England had brought me in for a pre-draft visit. And so did San Fran. Only the serious teams do that. They bring you in for a visit. Um, And they didn't call. And they drafted Ben Watson from Georgia, who is an amazing player. And from Georgia, me and him are the same age, and he's been a baller and was a pro baller. So they did a really good job. But uh, I wound up slipping to the first, uh, the beginning of the second round, and uh, 408 number popped up. And you could appreciate this. 408 number pops up, and I have no idea. It says Santa Clara, California. Didn't say San Fran. 
I say hello. And it's Bill Walsh, man. The man. And says, hey, Justin, how would you like to be a 49er? <laughs> and I didn't know who Bill Walsh was, really. You know what I'm saying? I, but I grew up in the era of Joe Montana, Jerry Rice. I mean, I was He was their head coach. Come on. Yeah. The West Coast offense. Yeah. He's the one that asked me how I would like to be a 49er. And I'll never forget that. And, dude, I just remember breaking down. Like, just – I mean, that's when it became real. So, you're at – are you – this is the next day, or is it no, the same day? No, no, it was at my party. So it's it at the party. same party. So yeah. the first and second round on the same night. Yeah, yeah. At the time, um, the first, second, and third round were on the on the same day. So do you look at a story like this and like, do you get that same kind of like, man, I, racing is the kind of the same deal. Like you, 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 you're in there. You're in the mix. There's only a certain amount of trucks. Tate Fogelman that can be on that track and you're one of them there's this country just this country which can you be from not America and race NASCAR I assume you can yeah. right I know you can in Indy I'm not trying to sound like an idiot I just can't no, think man. of any off my head that have been a successful NASCAR driver that weren't from America have there been any you two are from the south I don't know if there's even been one but can you appreciate this like you understand like what you're doing at the same levels like every kid when I was a college baseball player I remember on my freezer like this one right here up on the upper top I had a piece of paper with magnets you know what a magnet is yeah <laughs> well we used to put them on our refrigerator when we had we used to have refrigerators that magnets stuck on they probably your grandma might have one yeah um, he does it said I'm I'm one of the top 1700 baseball players in the country amateur. That's how many were going to be drafted that year. I thought for sure I was good enough to go. You know, you it's the dream. Yeah. Even if you get a cup of coffee, which they call that in baseball, just maybe one pitch, one at bat, a cup of coffee, like that would have been my dream. I, my life would have been fulfilled. When I walk into a stadium now and I smell the grass, I could go to spring training in Scottsdale in Arizona and I smell the grass and I see it and I hear that bat and I hear that glove pop. It brings that memory. I'm just like, oh my yeah. God, what, what, what am I missing? Like, I'm 47 years old now, and I'm sitting here going, God, I wish I could still play. Would I ever go play adult league? No. I'm, I'm just talking about being a, a major leaguer. I just wanted one chance. Not everybody gets it. There's 330 million, I think 89 million voted for Joe Biden. Not, but anyway, we won't go there. But 81 million maybe. But 330 million people in this country, Tate. How many trucks are on that course? How many trucks start a race? 25? Yeah, it used to be they start at 32, then they moved it to 36, and then last year when we couldn't qualify or anything, they put it to 40. So it's usually 40. 40 drivers that there's hundreds of thousands of kids that grow oh, yeah. up racing dirt track go-karts that want to make it. And you're one of them. That's Can you relate to what about. he's saying? He's one of them. Can you relate? Yeah, I, I was kind of I was listening to what he was saying and when he was describing that call. And, like, once you got that call, like, that's kind of like how I felt when in Talladega, like everything you had um, lived for, worked hard, and then that finally coming true, like I probably the same feeling you had. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it, but that's only one piece of the puzzle. You know what I'm saying? You, you get to the dance, right? And that was it. Like I, I got to the dance, but there was still a lot of work to be that's done. Like with you know me. what I'm now, saying, man? Now I got to start winning more races. Now. Yeah, no doubt. But I mean, hey, look, you're uh, – you're in the game, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, dude, that just like Chad was saying, that what a blessing. Um, because there are so many. I mean, damn, you can't even put a number on it, man. Mm -hmm. How many kids have aspirations of, yeah. of racing cars? And you are uh, and one playing. of the chosen few, man. Exactly. And, but listen, you didn't win the lottery. You worked no. your ass off. Yeah. 
And that's one I tell people all the time. It's like, it didn't fall on my lap. No, exactly. Dude, I ran it up and down the road. I was in the street light. You know right. what I'm saying? Stuff people didn't see. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff people don't see about you either. Or Chad. Most things behind <clears throat> the scenes they don't see. No. No. That yeah. doesn't, it, it's, it's hard to, you know, with, with today's keyboard greatness of everybody that can just get on and have an opinion, right? Very it, brave it, you, behind that. It, very brave. It yeah. used to be to where you had to be somebody to have an opinion mm-hmm. as far as, to critique somebody Siskel and Ebert everybody was like oh my god Some clout, is it two right? thumbs up or is it one thumb up and one thumb down on the movie yeah but now you can go on and just everybody's got an opinion it's everybody's searching for that instant gratification but it used to be to where you did not have to listen to it from every angle of like oh he just gets to hunt the best spots in the world oh he just made it because he's a big a big lineman oh he just made it because his dad was a NASCAR driver and he probably got a connection no they don't know what you're doing behind the scenes they don't know how many miles you put on with a trailer behind your mom and dad's truck pulling your go-karts and how and what you did running up and down the street and in the lights doing the play the pass plays and all the stuff and nobody gets that part of it they it's so easy for somebody to get on there and be a critic now to where you're like man listen we all got the chance to do this. If you really wanted this, you would not be on that side of the keyboard right now. You would be sitting over here to where Tate is. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I'm so glad that you brought that up, dude. I listen to your podcast all the time, and I don't take a second to talk about you for a minute. I think that you're such a great ambassador for this sport. We talked about this earlier. The foot that, you know, my dream of life and in life was to play in the NFL. But my favorite thing to do, my favorite hobby is to hunt waterfowl. And you're a great ambassador for this sport. And the things you do for this sport are amazing. I do hear and I see the shit um, that people like. I mean, haters are going to hate. And the way I look at it is that um, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. Yep. You know what I'm saying? What are you going to do with those, those hours? We spend our time working. You know what? Listen, I don't have to stand and uh, pat myself on the back and tell everybody from the rooftop what I've done. You know, I mean, I let, you know, my actions speak. And you have, dude. I mean, you, I mean, you have done an amazing job. You've done a great job, but I'm obviously the work is never done. No, you know, yeah. I've, I've become because of what you're talking about, Justin, I've become more of a deflector to where you, you handle unbelievably. Do, and I become like I just I look at it like when people say stuff to me I'm just like uh, let's let talk to him about it or like yesterday I had this a person that we both know say man you sound unreal on that goose call can you teach me how to do this and I and as soon as he said it I went only if you teach me how to do what you're doing and I deflected it like look, look we're on the same level like I know that that you that you know who I am because of this this the goose hunting or duck hunting deal but I don't want that I never wanted that I never wanted it to be about who I was I want it to be about the duck or the goose or the lifestyle this culture of it and when you when I first started I took a really bad rap tape because I did things different I was like I'm going to wear a flat bill hat. Well, duck hunters don't wear flat bill hats. Well, hey, tell me where that is written in the rule book that you can't do that. This is perception that people have, but we we know how competitive duck hunting is. It brings ugly out in people. Ugly, huh? Ugly, ugly. Probably more than any other hunting section. Listen, in football, I never faced 
so much ugliness than I have at the boat ramp on Float Road in Gregory, Arkansas. <laughs> it's crazy. That's huh? when the ugly comes out in people. And I and but I, I think you do an amazing job. And I told myself on the way over here that you, you do a great job of bringing everybody, bringing great, yeah. um, very star-studded people on. But I mean, dude, you've done unbelievable things for this sport Thank that you. we all love, yeah. man. Thank I mean, you. come on, dude. I mean, it's a. No, that makes me feel good because I don't want it. I never wanted it to be about what, who we were because it was always bigger than that. Like you can't mess with Mother Nature, yeah. and I think that people had the wrong idea of what I was trying to do because I was different. I wasn't. I wasn't from Arkansas. I wasn't from Texas. I wasn't from you know waterfowl enriched areas. From Nevada, I was a baseball player, and I brought skateboarding into it. I brought baseball into it. I brought rock and roll into it. I'd wear a Guns N' Roses shirt with a Tony Hawk hat on with a skateboard, but I love to duck hunt. What's yeah. wrong with that? What's wrong no. with that? There's nothing wrong with that. There, every 12-year-old no. baseball player in Alabama now wears a flat bill hat. I have, you Listen, know. every bit of them. Every you one see what them. I got on right now? Flat yeah. bill. Look, I, I always loved, I mean, from the beginning, I love people who are passionate about things that they love. That's man. what people should love. You hear? And and I and I, I learned this from a young age that you should publicly congratulate people. Um here's the deal. In in Miami, I bawled my ass off. And I was an alternate for the Pro Bowl, but I never made the Pro Bowl. And my left tackle Jake Long did every year. But I always was so happy for Jake. That's how I never is. said to, why why not me? I, Never the victim. But you know what? Jake came to me one year and he said, hey, Justin, I wouldn't be a pro bowler if it weren't for you and your double teams, your chips, your ace blocks. Yeah. And to me, that meant the world. I didn't even need them to tell me I was a pro bowler, man, because yeah. my guy recognized it. But I was never going to hate on him. You, you have to be happy for other people. You have to. And that's – but our, our, our society – we're going to talk about this coming up on a future episode of the Foul Life Podcast. We're going to conclude this episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. But listen here. We're going to come back with part two with Tate Fogelman and Justin Smiley. We're going to talk about Justin's NFL career, where it went with all four teams he played for. And we are going to talk to Tate Fogelman about his new race team, his new truck. Will it go faster than 195 miles an hour average for 94 freaking laps? How strong does his core, his lower back, his forearms have to be? Can you just be a guy that, or a girl that does not care? Did Dana Patrick go to Denny's and eat a Grand Slam every morning before a race? Or did she have to care about her nutritional plan? Does Tate have to treat his body like a world-class athlete does? And we're going to talk to Justin Smiley about life after football and how do you go from that red carpet being rolled out everywhere to treating yourself to the life that you deserve and not having to answer to somebody. Does he spoil himself once in a while with the money that he made does he eat what he wants on a daily basis or does he have to watch what he eats every single day because he understands that without all those double days all those workouts all those nfl regimens it will catch up with you i want to know all of this on how these professional athletes take care of themselves after football and as tate fogelman begins what's going to be in my opinion a historic nascar racing career thank you to jack daniels thank you to rigid industries this has been another episode of this life ain't for everybody we are going to go out with a song right now by the one and only 
Sunset Strip, 1980s, one of the best rock bands of all time. I do not consider them a hair band. They're not on the level of Guns N' Roses, but this is Vince Neil, Nikki Six, Mick Mars, and Tommy Lee. The song is called Kickstart My Heart, Motley Crue, Take Us to the Homeland. <laughs> 